Our text this morning is Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. The title of our sermon is The Fullness of Hope. Last week we talked about how our hope is secure in the firm, rich soil, the true foundation of Jesus Christ. We looked at trees who had been planted in soil that let them down and ended up toppling in a storm. And then we looked at the trees of Slope Point, New Zealand, the trees who are bent by the storm, twisted and formed by the relentless Arctic winds, and yet their roots hold firm. Their foundation does not give way, and they are a shelter for the sheep in their pasture. Last week, we saw how God has such a fantastic way of using the circumstances that has shaped us to the benefit of his kingdom. Last week, we talked about trees and their foundation. This week, we talk about circumcision and death. Quite the change. And yet, the theme runs true and is proclaimed ever the louder in our passage this morning. We have reason to hope. That reason, that hope, is Jesus Christ. As we work through this passage this morning, may God be continuing to do a work in each of our hearts. Let's read the word of the Lord, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this past week, I have been addressing some medical concerns. I went to the doctor and we had a conversation. And in order to gather more information on what might be going on with me, he wants me to take some tests to see if I'm having issues digesting food. These little boxes arrived in the mail. And in them were six little tubes, a small package of concentrate, a straw, and some instructions. The hardest part of the test wasn't blowing through the straw into the tubes, it wasn't drinking the concentrate mixed with water, and it wasn't keeping the timer so that I knew when to blow next. The hardest part was the preparation to take the test. For 12 hours, I had to eat a very pared-down diet, no salt, no sugar, no pepper, no seasonings, chicken, eggs, rice, and water. Now, I didn't realize how good chicken and rice could be until I moved here to Jersey. Man, that stuff can be delicious. But in this case, it was definitely not. So for 12 hours, I ate plain rice and chicken. Then for 12 hours, I wasn't allowed to eat anything. Now, I'm, I'm hypoglycemic, which means I have a slight blood sugar intolerance. My brain gets fuzzy, and I feel almost like empty. 
when I don't have some sort of sugar to help balance things out. And when I'm stressed or doing physical exercise and I haven't had sugar, the situation is just exacerbated. As I was taking these tests, I began to feel empty, like I wasn't whole. Like my brain just was fuzzy. It, was, it wasn't functioning as it was intended to, as I knew that it could, as, as I felt like it should. I was crankier with my family than I wanted to be. There was a part of me that was shamed by how I was acting, how I was carrying on, but it was, it was kind of like watching myself from a distance. You ever felt that way? My, my distant desire to avoid embarrassing myself wasn't strong enough to override my actions. It was harder to concentrate on work. The work I did during those times, I basically had to throw out because it wasn't any good. It was humbling and embarrassing. I felt weak. I felt lacking, like there was something missing, like something wasn't right. Maybe you don't suffer from hypoglycemia, and I hope that you never have to take one of those frustrating tests. But that situation aside, do you ever feel weak, lacking? Like there's something missing. I feel that way when I'm missing some sugar in my diet, and I also feel that way when I'm following, trudging, maybe even running down the pathways of sin in my life. I want to stop. I want to get better. I'm embarrassed by the words that come out of my mouth and the works of my hands and, and the thoughts of my brain. But it's like part of me is shouting stop from, from a distance, and the words never really reach me in time. Caught up in the moment of my sinful passion, my desire to stop running is distant. And it doesn't have the strength to override my actions, my thoughts, or my words. And what I'm left with is my shame. What I'm left with is my guilt. What I'm left with is an empty feeling, a recognition of my failures, and the tangible proof of how far I fall short of perfection. My sin proves that I am broken. That though I may do a lot of good, that though I may help a lot of people, that though the vast majority of my time, my intentions and actions are for the benefit of myself and those around me, that though I want to please God and, and though I follow his instructions as best I can, not to earn his favor, but because I'm so thankful for, for what he has done, that all of this is true, it is clear that I am still broken, I am still lacking. That the good I do is not strong enough to overcome the bad that lives within me. For I am still unable to stop it completely. Even as a Christian and even as a pastor, I still fall into rhythms of sin that embarrass me and humiliate me and bring me shame. Just ask my wife how many times I sat on the couch this past week berating myself and mumbling in frustration. I should have known better. I failed. How could I have messed this up so bad? I, I should be better than this. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Typically, this is where I would ask if there are times in your life when you can relate to me, when you've had these thoughts, when faced with your sin and your failures, when you feel lacking, but we all know the answer to those questions for each of us is a sinner and broken with sin. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing with feeling empty, with recognizing that you are not whole, that you are not functioning as you are intended to function? 
that you are not functioning even as you want to function or as you expect yourself to function. As I sat this week once again tangibly faced with the frailty of my humanity, I read the words of our text this morning. Now, I like to think of myself as a decently smart guy. No one's going to confuse me with a genius. But I catch on to things fairly quickly. And yet it took me an embarrassingly long time to catch what God was saying to me this week in these verses. I was so caught up in my own rhythms, I was so busy berating myself, that I almost missed what God was speaking to my heart in this passage. This text this morning is one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture, and, and I've been pretty excited to preach it. But in my preparation, I kept skipping to my favorite part, which is the end. And we're definitely going to get there this morning because it's fantastic. But there's a part in the beginning that I just kept glossing over. Man, I read this text so many times this week, and I just kept glossing over this part. You know, you know how that happens sometimes? I, I couldn't figure out where the sermon was supposed to go. I knew where I wanted it to go. But it just, it just didn't feel complete. The Holy Spirit was nudging me that something was missing, and what was missing was the beginning of verse 10. At some point Saturday morning, God just hit me over the head with verse 10 like it was a 2 by 4 but where a 2 by 4 would leave me writhing in pain on the floor, verse 10 gave me life. It gave me hope. I don't know how you are participating in this service. You may be watching it live. You may be sitting here in person. You may be recording or watching a recording later. But however you are participating, would you read this passage with me aloud? I don't know why we're popping, but we're popping. I'm telling you, man. Every time it, it comes time where we're going to get to some gospel, we get some popping and going on. We're good. We got this. God's got this. We're resting in that. Please read this text aloud with me this morning. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Do you feel empty? Do you feel lacking? Do you feel weak? Do you feel like you aren't functioning as intended? Do you feel like you just can't do it? Do you wonder what is wrong with you? Forget running the marathon of faith. Do you sometimes lack the strength to just behave appropriately around other people without embarrassing yourself, without feeling shame? That's where we are on our own, empty and weak, lacking and shamed. But in Christ, we have been brought to fullness. We can't get there on our own. An empty cup can't fill itself. It needs someone to do the pouring and to supply the water. And that is what Christ has done for us. He has done the pouring. He has supplied the water. He has brought us to fullness. He has joined us to him, cloaked us in him, covered us in him. Despite our filth and our shame and our sin and our guilt, he has embraced us and cleansed us. And he has brought us into the family of God. And Paul lays out just how Christ has done this in our text this morning. In church, it's beautiful. He has done it through circumcision and death. In the Old Testament, circumcision was how you were brought into the people of Israel, God's chosen people, the family of God. On the eighth day of life, the male children of Israel would have a small chunk of flesh removed from their body. And this was how they were initiated in. 
There are other stories in the Bible where Gentile men who were not Israelites wanted to marry an Israelite woman. In order to do so, they also needed to remove this chunk of flesh. What a brutal rite of initiation. Why is Paul referencing circumcision in our text this morning? He's referencing circumcision because he's talking about being brought into the family of God, but he's making clear that changes to the brutal rite have taken place. We read in verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. The circumcision that has taken place is not something that humans have done. Whatever this new circumcision is, this new way that we are being brought into the body, the family of Christ, it's not something that we participate in. It's not done with human hands. Paul continues, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. So it's not something done by human hands, but it's something done by Christ. He is the one that is doing this new circumcision. He is the one that is performing the rite that brings us into the family of God. But what is it? What is this right? Paul makes this clear in verse 12 where he continues, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. And there it is. Baptism. In the days of the Old Testament, circumcision was the rite of initiation of the promises of God, but Christ has established a new rite, a new means of grace, and it's not something that we participate in, but something that is done to us, for us, by Christ. For it is God who is doing the work in our baptism. It is God who is bringing us into his family. It is God who is washing us in the waters of regeneration. It is God who is bringing us to fullness. It is God who is giving us the Holy Spirit. It is God who is giving us faith. Baptism is a means of grace established and carried out by Jesus Christ by which we are brought into the family of God and ultimately by which we are saved. He has brought us to fullness. For in our baptism, in the faith that we have been given, we are joined with Christ. We are buried with him in his death and we are brought back to life with him by God. Wow, what a promise. This is the fullness that Christ has brought us to. Though we have been brought into the family of God through our baptism and though we have been brought into the fullness by Christ, we are yet still broken, aren't we? Paul writes in other books about the old nature, the, the original sin that we are born with and how it wages war against the new nature, the life that we have been baptized into. Until we die and are made new, the battle will continue to be fought. This war inside us will continue to rage. There are battles that through the strength given to us by God, we will win. And there are battles that we will fight resting in our own strength and lose. When you lose, remember the promises of God. When you lose, remember your baptism. Remember that you are part of his family. That though you feel empty in your brokenness, you have been brought to fullness in Christ that you have been initiated into the family of God through your baptism. And remember the truth of the words Paul uses to close out our passage this morning. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. This week I got together with some other pastors in our region 
And we were talking about how sometimes there are verses in Scripture that hit so hard that it doesn't even really feel like we need to say anything else. That instead of giving a sermon, we could just read those verses over and over again. And these verses in our text this morning is one of those passages. Now, we aren't going to spend the next however many minutes just reading the passage over and over. But I would like to go through it one more time. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. In our sin, before we were brought into the family of God, we were dead. Is a dead person able to save themselves? Is a dead person able to bring themselves back to life? No. They're dead. For us, for our ability, death is pretty final. But for God, he has made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead, he brought us back from the dead and has made us alive through faith in Jesus Christ. The passage continues with this fantastic promise. He forgave us all our sins. You know that sin that you feel is unforgivable? Yeah, God's forgiven you for it. You know that sin you are having a hard time forgiving yourself for? That sin that you pretend didn't happen or doesn't exist because it gives you anxiety and causes you to, to freak out and fills you with shame and regret? Yeah, God forgave that one too. He forgave what you are unable to forgive yourself. In Christ, God has forgiven us all of our sins, and that blows our minds. And it, it kind of makes us angry a little bit too. How could God forgive the horrible things that I've done, and how could he forgive the horrible things that have been done to me? Forgiveness is a sensitive topic for us in today's world. Cancel culture and a particular path in the pursuit of justice have made navigating forgiveness a tricky proposition but it's only tricky for us. It's only sensitive for us. For God, it's very simple. For as we keep reading, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Forgiveness is not complicated for God. Because our debt has been cleared. The debt, the sin that stood against us, the sin that gave proof that we are not worthy of God, that we have fallen short, the sin that makes us feel empty and puts our, our cracks on, on full display for the whole world to see, the sin that, that separated us from God, all of that sin was given to Jesus. It was taken from us and it was put on Jesus and it was nailed to the cross. The punishment for sin was paid. Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross, made full satisfaction for all of our sins. And there on the cross, he died. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And then Jesus does his victory dance. He dropped the biggest mic he could find because Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days after surrendering his spirit on the cross and being buried in a tomb, he rose from the dead. He staged a heavenly breakout and busted out of the grave. And in so doing, he made a public spectacle of his enemies, the enemies of sin and death. He proved that they have no hold over him, that he does not need to fear them, for he has conquered them. He has defeated them. And church, friends, 
in faith, in our baptism, we have joined Christ in his victory. For remember, God has brought us back to life with Christ. So when we are in Christ, we no longer need to fear death. We struggle through the battles against sin and doubt, yeah, and fear and pain and suffering. We live here on this earth. But we no longer need to fear. The ultimate battle has been won. The enemy has been humiliated. And for all of our failings, in spite of all of our shame, despite all of our guilt and fear, God's love has been poured out over us. And through faith in Christ, we have been given the fullness of Christ. We have joined him in victory. We're the kid in the group project that did absolutely nothing but still got the A. And we didn't seek this particular group out, right? Like in high school, I used to be like, yeah, I'm going to try and get in that guy's group because I know he's doing all the work. Nobody wanted me in their group, but I sought them out. These guys sought us out. Christ sought us out and said, hey, you're in my group. I'm giving you the A. We didn't do anything to legitimately get the perfect grade that we have received. It was given to us. Through faith in Christ, we are clothed with Christ. And when God sees us, he doesn't see the sin of our lives, but he sees the righteousness of Christ, his son. Christ is the fullness of our hope. Let us rest in that fullness together. Let us strive to live lives that reflect his love, hope, and desire for us. And when we stumble on that journey, let us remember our baptism. Let us remember what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us, and that God does not take back his promises. Let us remember that the victory is won, forgiveness has been given, and we do not need to fear, for our brokenness does not hinder or tarnish the fullness that Christ has given us. What a fantastic, loving, an amazing God we serve. Amen.